The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13, and we'd like to focus on verse 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, I tend to think that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, and I don't really want to take our time to give you all the reasons why I think that. Um, but he didn't introduce this book the way he normally did, and I think there's reasons associated with that. But I think part of the reason that it's, it's pretty clear that he did is because he gets to the, the end of this book, and then he kind of has all of these, you know, he, he's laid out the, the whole framework of the book, that Christ is better than angels, better than the law, and better than all these sacrifices, better than the priesthood and all this. And then he kind of gets to the end of the, the book, and then he's just giving all of these... I don't want to be disrespectful when I say this, but just kind of these random thoughts, these, these random exhortations kind of at the end, which is what he does a lot in his last, last letter, last uh, uh, chapter of, of a lot of his books. So he's giving just kind of a lot of very uh, beneficial exhortations. And then right in the middle of this, right in the middle of these exhortations, verse 1, let brotherly love continue, be forgetful, or be not forgetful rather, to entertain strangers, for thereby you have entertained uh, angels unawares. Verse 2, and then the purity of marriage, and then uh, warning against covetousness. Verse 5, let your conversation be without covetousness. Be content with things that you have. Then verse 7, remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, following the end of their conversation. All of these just general exhortations for uh, these Hebrew Christians. Uh, and then right in the middle of that, he says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Then he continues on in verse 9, And be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. For it's a good thing that the heart be established with grace, and not with meats which have uh, not profited them, which have occupied, etc., etc. It's also very interesting there that right after he established the eternal, immutable nature of God, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, don't be enticed by diverse and strange doctors. Don't be enticed by something new. Right. Okay? God didn't change his mind. Right. We're, we're going to uh, hopefully look on the immutability of God's nature, and then hopefully, Lord willing, if we have time, focus on the immutable nature of his word. He, he, he inspired his word, and he preserved his word, but you don't need to be concerned that God changed his opinion on a topic right. nowadays from what he uh, inspired and preserved for us in the Word of God. So don't be enticed to be uh, tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Don't think that God's opinion, especially in the environment we're in today, God's opinion on sodomy has not changed. God's opinion on, on the vileness and the wickedness of this world has not changed. Why? Because He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I just want you to meditate on that for a minute, and we want to do that together this morning, is just meditate on the eternal 
unchangeable nature of God. And, and that's, that's a true fact. I mean, that's a doctrinal principle that God's eternal. And uh, it says in Psalm chapter 90 and in verse 2, from everlasting to everlasting thou art God, right? right. From the beginning of whenever everlasting started, and then certainly through the end of, of everlasting, we can't even comprehend that. Our finite minds can't comprehend anything outside of time. But there was no, uh, you know, uh, in Daniel chapter 2, uh, uh, the prophecy there that's speaking of the kingdom of God and of the church, it says this kingdom's not going to be like other kingdoms. Uh, it's not going to be left to other people. Because that's what happens with other kingdoms, right? Is, is uh, a king dies and then somebody else has got to take over. So there wasn't a God before God, <laughs> that when he died, God took over, right? That's what happens in the kingdom of men. Someone dies, and then because they're a man and they die, someone else takes over. But that didn't happen with God, right? From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. He has all of everlasting covered. He's eternal. And it's just amazing for us to think about. In a world that is full of decay in, in lives that change, our bodies change, our relationships change, our circum everything about life changes. And so it's hard for us to really grasp someone, I mean, just 6,000 years of, of natural creation, God hasn't changed. But everlasting to everlasting goes beyond that, right? I mean, it goes way beyond just the 6,000 years on the calendar that we've had. How is it that God is the same <laughs> that, you know, we, we grow old and we, we uh, lose strength and our, our ability diminishes as we get old. But God is everlasting old, but he's just as strong as he's always been, right? <laughs> that, that's a good principle. It's a good principle to be reminded of the eternal nature of God. But I want you to understand just how much security and stability and peace Amen. that should give you right. okay i've had a line of a song on my mind this week it's in abide with me change and decay all around i see O thou who changes not abide with me and that that's what we see around us isn't it change and decay all around I see. I mean, life can change in a minute. A, uh, a phone call, a death of a loved one, you lose your job, phone call to receive a diagnosis that you weren't expecting. I mean, life can change on a whim, can't it? I, have y'all been uh, around long enough to experience that? <laughs> that uh, something happens. A phone call comes, some event happens, and life today is not the same as life was yesterday, right? And then we, we look at not just those dramatic uh, changes in our life um, that are, are very difficult to deal with and to cope with, but then just the nature of change in our life. I mean, the older that we get, we, we get weaker and weaker and weaker, and we lose strength, and we get, we get older and truly change and decay all around us. You know, I, I see some people that have the, the crown of a gray head here uh, uh, this morning. Uh, Proverbs commends that, by the way, 
Uh, so y'all have a lot more of experience in this than I, than I do, but I, I know y'all would all amen that the older and the older you get, change and decay all around I see. <laughs> right? Our nature is to lose strength and to break down and decay and eventually the effects of sin succumb us to where we die. But it's really hard to kind of wrap our mind around a God that not only does not change, but cannot change. Cannot change. Another song, I was thumbing through the book here, it's number 434, Just the Same Today. Uh, Brother Josh mentioned his daughter's favorite song growing up was Grace is Free, with her name being Grace. Well, my... Uh, my vain little six-year-old self, my favorite song was just the same today because the second line is when David and Goliath met. For some reason, I wasn't enticed by David's lamentation, right? <laughs> uh, that had my name in it too, but, the, but that, uh, that, that minor tune and the sad, solemn case of him and, and his uh, uh, Absalom dying and all this, uh, for some reason, I wasn't drawn to that. But, but uh, just the same today was my favorite song. But I want you to think, you know, sometimes that's a fun song to sing, and uh, we don't sing it too much uh, uh, back at Macedonia. Uh, we, we ought to, but um, sometimes there's a few songs that maybe, at least in my mind, I've, I've come to view them as a little bit more of children's songs, you know. Oh, how I love Jesus. Well, I tell you, that is not a children's song. <laughs> that is an every child of God song. Amen. And I think sometimes maybe I view just the same today that way a little bit. Maybe it's because I liked it so much when I was a kid. But anyway, what that's saying, though, that's a fun song to sing. But I want you to think about the, the reality of what those, those lyrics are saying right there. That um, the, the four examples it gives in those four verses, I believe the first one is Moses. When Moses and the Israelites... And are you, have you ever been in a circumstance where you felt him, hemmed in like Moses and the Israelites did when they were on the Red Sea? Then we have no way out. Man, they start turning on God. Man, we, sh we shouldn't have even left Egypt. We should have just uh, stayed in bondage. And then Moses said, no, calm down, simmer down, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. And God, God opened a miraculous dry path. I mean, I don't want to focus on that this morning, but I mean, what an amazing miracle that God not just opened, uh, I don't watch NASCAR anymore. I used to watch it a little bit. Uh, when I was growing up, my uncles liked it. We went over to my grandmother's house and they watched NASCAR. So I watched NASCAR a little bit. Y'all may enjoy NASCAR, but, uh, it takes them a while when they have a rain delay that they get them blowers out there and it takes them a long time to dry up that pavement. How, I mean, how many hours do you think it would take if they had to literally blow dry the bottom of a, uh, of a sea that had just been drained? <laughs> right? <laughs> hours upon hours. Upon. But guess what? God dried that up at the command of his voice, right? So now what should have happened, unfortunately, we're like the Israelites on the other side of the Red Sea. What should have happened is they should have saw that and they say, wow, look at this amazing experience that God has given. Look at this amazing salvation, that daily time, now salvation right there that they experienced and deliverance from literal death. <laughs> they should have said, wow, look at what God did. Man, when we get a little bit hungry, that ain't nothing, right? I mean, I mean they're, they're melting because they get a little bit hungry. 
Man, we should have gone back to Egypt. They, what they should have done was look back at the Red Sea and be like, wow, look what God did. And then we look at a miracle like that and we're like, man, isn't it great? Isn't it great that God blessed them in that day back then like that? But everything around us is just so bad and the culture's so bad and, you know, the government's so bad and all this stuff and, and the churches are struggling. I mean, there's a lot of things to, to be discouraged about and I'm not going to stick my head in the sand. But listen, the same God is just the same today, right? And then the next verse, uh, David, David and Goliath met, right? The wrong against the right. Giant armed with human strength, David with God's might. I mean, look at the amazing deliverance that no one would have put their money on the Israelites defeating the Egyptians. And nobody would have put their money on that little bitty shepherd boy defeating, especially when he, uh, he forsook the, uh, the armor of the king. You know, what, what, what he should have uh, looked at the, the best that natural man had to offer uh, probably was Saul's armor. And he said, you know what? I haven't proved it, but God has proved that he will deliver me from past experiences out of the mouth of the lion and the mouth of the bear. And all I need is not Saul's armor. I just need the Lord. Amen. And then that amazing deliverance right there. And... I'm sure you may be facing some challenges, maybe some giants in your life, right? And I don't want to over-spiritualize that too much. I think some people do. But you understand, right, that the same God that gave Israel and Moses deliverance in those days is the same God. He hasn't diminished at all. His power and ability has not, has not uh, been diminished at all. And then Daniel. Daniel, right? when he was thrown into the lion's den. And then he sent some angels there to, to change the nature of those, of those lions and then to change the heart of the king in the middle of that too. And God providentially protected Daniel from the wickedness that was around him. And then that fourth verse is when Pentecost had fully come and fire from heaven did fall. Now, it's great to be reminded of providential deliverances, right? But we look at the day of Pentecost. Now, I do understand that this was the establishment of the church, and it was a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people were added to the church, and a couple chapters later in Acts chapter 4, 5,000 men were added. You see all throughout the book of Acts, multitudes, which I've thought about that recently. If the church was used to seeing... <laughs> 3,000 people in one time and 5,000 people in another time. How many people were joining when they said multitudes were joining? <laughs> I don't think it was two, three folks. I think it may have been thousands of people. Every time it says multitudes were being added. And we look at that and we're like, and I understand that was a special establishment of the church. But we look at that and be like, wow, good for them. Good for them. But now today, Lord, I don't know if you know it, but our churches are struggling. Our churches are small. You don't know. You want to know what all that started with? 120 faithful people in the in an upper room praying for the for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we look at that and say, "Man, those days were good. 
Praise God that, that he established his church in that. I want you to understand the power of the Holy Spirit that was manifest on the day of Pentecost is just as powerful today. Do you understand that? We have the ability. By the way, now we defer to the will of God, no doubt. And it's up to him according to his will. But there are some actions that we can undertake that we can invite the presence of the Holy Spirit into our lives and into our churches. And there, the, the power of the Holy Spirit is not diminished one iota from the day of Pentecost. You understand that? God is just the same today in our providential deliverances, but also the special outpouring that we see in, in many different places uh, in the book of Acts and in the original church. So God is just the same today. And it's so, or it should be, so comforting and reassuring to you that you can rely on God in every circumstance of your life. Every circumstance of your life. Now, it says back in Ecclesiastes that there, there's, there's no new thing under the sun. Now, things get repackaged, no doubt, right? I mean, uh, people in the Old Testament in Jesus' day, they didn't have to deal with the Internet and these phones that are beneficial, but they're a big hindrance as well. They didn't have to deal with a lot of these uh, things we have today. But Satan's tactics and the things of the world, there's no new thing under the sun. And, and, and that's kind of summarized by the Apostle Paul where he said, look, there is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Now, like I said, the, the form of that temptation is a lot different. The way, the way that it's presented to us is a lot different today than it was back in Jesus' day or back in the Old Testament, right? But the, the substance of the temptations, um, they're common to man. But, so... Uh, I hope that you have seen the stability and the security and the confidence that you can place in God in your life. I hope that you've seen that in instances that you can put up uh, a memorial stone, just like when they crossed the, the Jordan River in Joshua chapter 3 and 4. He said, look, you put up these stones to where... Not only you will remember it, but your children will ask you, what do these mean? This is a special time in my life that God delivered me. And you can go back and have confidence and faith in that because of God's deliverance in the past. But understand, if whatever circumstance you're going through, it doesn't matter what it is. If you read the word of God, you will find that God has blessed and delivered and many times overcome in a special, powerful way, but he has provided and kept and blessed his people in that exact temptation in times past. Now, you study that out for yourself with the help of your pastor. If you don't know where the verse is at, ask him. And even if he doesn't know, you give him about a week, he'll get back to you. I guarantee you. Now, it'd be easy for us, and that, that's how we feel, isn't it? Uh, something happens to me, 
And we forget that there's no new thing under the sun. We forget that there's no temptation that has taken us, but such as common to man. Uh, you know, nobody knows the sorrows I've, I've had. Nobody, nobody's ever dealt with this problem before in the history of the world. Well, I want to just tell you very kindly, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. If you study God's word... If you study God's word long enough, you will find where God delivered one of his children in the exact circumstance that you were in, and you don't need to doubt his ability to, to deliver you in the midst of that. Why? Why? Because he's just the same today. Right? He's just the same today. He has just as much power and ability to deliver you from a medical illness from a lost job where you don't know where your next uh, paycheck is going to come from. Listen, God said, put the kingdom first and I will provide all that you stand in need of. Right. Okay? Marital difficulties, death of, death of a loved one. There's anything. You insert your own trouble. <laughs> we all have it, right? In this world, you shall have tribulation. You insult, insert... Uh, what is applicable to you today, and you will find that God has delivered got his children in times past in the midst of that circumstance. And you take comfort, child of God. Why? Because he's just the same today. He's not diminished in any way. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 6. And there's a lot bigger lesson right here um, than we're really going to be able to get. I really just want to focus on one phrase, but I almost feel bad uh, not, not preaching this whole context right here. But here in Hebrews chapter 6, God is so gracious to us. You know, he saved us by grace, and if he never inspired his word, he never told us about it, not one less child of God would be in heaven. But he was so gracious to let us know about it. And he said, here speaking of, of, of Abraham and the promise that he made to him, that he gave that promise to Abraham so that he would be encouraged. He says here, verse 13, for when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. Now, did he have to obligate himself in the way that he chose to do to Abraham? Did, did he have to obligate in that setting that he gave there um, of going through the midst of, I can't get it right now, but y'all can turn over there and read it. Um, he didn't have to do that um, to verify that he was going to fulfill his promise to Abraham to give him a seed and to give him the promised land. He was going to do it anyway. He'd already told him. He'd already told him multiple times about that. But then, there at the beginning of that chapter, you find Abraham's faith starting to, to wane a little bit. And he said, you know, essentially, Lord, you're my shield and my exceeding great reward. Uh, I don't know if you know it yet. It's been quite a few years, but I don't have a son yet. Uh, are you going to give me a son by my servant? You know, are you going to do some end around? And that's what he tried to do. And then, I'll tell you, 
Abraham's just like us, unfortunately. Uh, God reaffirmed the covenant. He believed him. He believed God has counted him for righteousness. Right there in, uh, in Genesis chapter 15 is the principal example of justification by faith in the whole Old Testament. But you want to know what he did in the next chapter? He went into Hagar, and he tried to do an end around around God's promise. You know, that's why we need to be reminded of, of, of God's promises, right? That's why I took, I took a lot of comfort as, as a minister. Sometimes I felt a burden when I was younger. I have to mine for gold and find some new thing, not, not bringing new doctrine, but I have to uh, have something somebody's never ever, never heard before so, so to, to validate my calling or something. But then I read in the, in, the, uh, in the New Testament, Paul said, look, if you'll be a good minister, you put them in remembrance. <laughs> why? Because we're so forgetful, right? That's why we have to be put in remembrance. So Abraham, the, the, the principal example of justification by faith, and then right after, he gives this amazing covenant for Abraham's benefit, you know, a couple days later, a couple weeks later, a couple months later, maybe even a year or two later, finally they said, well, you know, I guess God's delayed again. I, I guess he's not going to be able to let us have a child again. So let's see if we can uh, manufacture God's promise through using Hagar, and we know the mess that that caused, right? But God was not obligated to perform that covenant in that way for it to confirm what he was going to do for Abraham. Why did he do it? Why did he do that? For Abraham's sake, right? He did it for Abraham's sake so he would have greater confidence. So he says here that when God made promise to Abraham because he would swear by no greater, he swear by himself. Saying, surely blessing I will bless thee and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God willing uh, more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise. And aren't you so glad that God inspired and preserved his word for us? So that we can take confidence in these promises. There are many children of God that walked around in despair. Because think about, think about uh, Rahab. Before those spies came into Jericho. It's my opinion that she was born again before they showed up. Because she already showed evidence of that. She wasn't born again uh, in, in that conversation with them spies. She was already born again. But don't you know that she had so much more confidence and boldness in the promise of Jehovah God after she was grafted in and ended up you know, marrying, who was it, Salmon, and ended up being one of the great-great-grandmothers of, of, uh, of Jesse and David? Don't you know that Rahab had a lot more boldness of confidence in God's promise? Now, did, did the, the, the uh, validity of God's promise change in any way by her knowledge of it? Well, no, of course not. But boy, it, it did her a lot of good, didn't it? <laughs> it did her a whole lot of good. And it's just amazing that God has been so gracious to us right. to give us this word so that we can see where God has delivered his people in times past and know that he's the same and knowing that he's right there for us in the midst of every circumstance that we can encounter in life. God gave this for Abraham's benefit. 
wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, he confirmed it by an oath, that by two things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. Why did God give those promises to Abraham? Why? If he relied on them in the manner that he was supposed to, the reason why he gave that to them is so that they would have hope and faith as a stabilizing hope we have, verse 19, as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil. The reason why he gave these promises to Abraham was so that when Sarah came to him and said, you know what, I think, I think God's forgot about us. We need to go into, Abraham, uh, go into Hagar. What he should have said was, no. Right. No. Why? Because God made a promise. Amen. And I don't know when, I don't know how, and they had to wait many more years before it came to fruition. What he should have said was he should have looked at that promise of God and he should have said, I am not going to do that. Why? Because I believe the promise of God. And God has given us these promises so that that, in the same way it should have been for Abraham, can be the anchor of of our soul. And don't you need an anchor in this world? Yeah. Well, change and decay all around I see. All of the, the, uh, the storms of this life, all of the challenges that we have, don't you need a stabilizing influence in the midst of this world? That's what Jesus Christ is. You understand the whole purpose of this word is to point us to the capital W living word. <laughs> yeah. Right? So this, these promises of God were given to you so that you can drop anchor to where when the storms of this life come, when you're enticed to be, you know, if that anchor is secure, by the way, <laughs> that, that, an anchor has a little bit of leeway in one, uh, in one direction or the other. Um, but there comes a point where that, chain gets taught and you're not going to go any further and i guarantee you the uh the leeway or the flexibility of that anchor it is not long enough to allow you to get into the broad way and the wide gate if you have that anchor as stabilized as it ought to be when you start going that way you're going to reach the extent of that anchor and what's it going to do it's going to draw you back right so god gave us these promises so that we would have confidence in the immutability of god's counsel now if he never preserved his word if he never gave us these if he never made that covenant to abraham does that in any way change the immutability of god's counsel no it doesn't right but he gave it for us okay so that we would have confidence in it Let's go to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. This is the last book of the Old Testament. So go to Matthew and then go backward. One book. Malachi chapter 3. And this is during a time period where God's children were fading away. A lot of unrepentant sin. They needed to deal with and he God was gracious enough to let them know about it 
to where they could deal with it. But here in the middle of this context here, in Malachi chapter 3 and in verse 6, God says very, very succinctly, um, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. You know, I say this with all the kindness in the world, but there are a lot of people in Christianity today that view God as nothing more than a double-minded man. Yeah. That he's changing his opinion on who he loves all the time based on what you do. Yeah. You know, he loves you. He's like Alpha Alpha. <laughs> Anybody get that reference? No? It's been a while since I've watched Little Rascals too. But you love somebody at one point, and then all of a sudden, we get to the next pedal, and then I don't love them anymore. You know, God, God, they pray a prayer. They pray a prayer. Good job that you believe. Good job. Welcome to heaven. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You have some unrepentant sin in your life that you accidentally, you don't repent of before you die? Well, you know, I loved you when you confessed me, but now you've committed some sin that you didn't repent of. Well, I, I guess I have to cast you into hell now. Listen, let's go ahead and go to Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 31. All right. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 3. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Amen. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. The idea that God loves someone today and he doesn't love them tomorrow. The idea that God loved everybody on the cross. That he died for everybody on the cross. But then there comes a point where you don't confess him in your life and then you die. That he said, well, okay, which is just, it doesn't make any sense to think that God loves you all the way up to your last breath. You could have been saved at that last breath if you prayed the right prayer. He loves you all the way up to that, but then, all right, well, I gave him a shot. He didn't do it. Now, when he died, I guess I have to cast him into hell. I guess I don't love him anymore. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. God does not change. His disposition toward the elect do not change. Now, I do want to add the caveat. When I say God does not change, that does not mean that God in the course of life does not change the way that he interacts with his children. Right? There are many instances where God has changed the way that he chose to deal with the situation. But it even uses language such as Moses when he said, I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to start over with you. And then Moses prayed for them, interceding, like Jesus interceded for us. And then, and then it said that God repented. And we get a little bit nervous, right, when we say God repented. Well, what that means, repentance is a change. It's, it's a change from one course of action to another course of action. Now, the way God repents is not how we repent. We right. repent from sin to righteousness. God repents from good to better, right? He changes his course of action from one great course of action to another great course of action, okay? So it's not to say that God does not change the way that he deals with his people. I mean, think about Hezekiah, right? He said, listen, put your house in order, you're going to die. Hezekiah prayed. He said, all right, I'll give you 15 more years. You know, he changed the way that he saw fit to interact based on the actions of his obedient children, Okay? But what we're talking about here 
is the eternal, immutable nature of God, particularly the eternal covenant of grace. Right. Okay? He does change the way that he deals with us from time to time based on the way that we pray, based on the way that we deal with the situation. Many different variables that impact the manifest presence of God in our life and how he sees fit to open doors and close doors and many other things. But when it comes to, I'm the Lord, I change not, therefore you sons of Jacob are not consumed, God's eternal disposition of love toward his children has never changed and will never change, right? Right. That's why we have confidence in Romans chapter 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Why? Because the God who loved us is always going to love us, and there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Amen. And you want to know what that includes? That includes suicide. Right. That includes you taking your life that you can't repent of. Uh, I Praise God I've never been in that uh, in, in person in one of those funerals, but I have heard stories of people that have that said this person is in hell today, regardless of the life that they live, they're in hell today because they took their own life. Listen, if God loves them, they're in heaven today, and that's the only thing that matters. Amen. The only thing that matters, because there is nothing in life or in death that can separate you from the love of God. There's no action that you can perform in your life, even an action that causes your death. To say that God loved you, you committed a sin, and then he chooses not to love you, I'm going to cast you into hell. That, again, I want to be as kind and gentle as I can, but that undermines the character and the holiness of Almighty God. Right. To say that he loves you one minute and he's going to hate you the next. Because if, if he can do that for somebody else, why do I have any confidence that he's going to keep on loving me? Right. That, that, that undermines every single bit of a security and assurance that I have, Right. Yeah, that's why we have to affirm. There's some things that I can't explain perfectly in the Word of God, but we have to affirm that every single word in here is preserved and perfect. Because if, if I start giving the answers that, well, this over here has this original text, and this could be this, and this could be this, and all this stuff, then if I don't have confidence in this one verse, what if I have confidence in Romans chapter 8, but that one's not right? It's an it's a all-or-nothing proposition. Right. That's what I'm saying, right? So that gives me a lot of concern when someone says, yeah, there may be some child of God out here that thinks they're going to heaven. But then they make, make a mistake or they've been confused their whole life and then they get there uh, thinking they're going to heaven. God pulls the rug out from under them and sends them to hell. Well, you know what? If he can do that for one of his little children, that gives me a lot of heartburn to think, what if I'm, what if I'm the exception, right? But it gives me a lot of security on the other end of the spectrum, right? It gives me a lot of comfort and security to say, no. <laughs> the reason why these sons of Jacob, the spiritual Israel of God, not the natural nation of Israel, but the elect family of God, listen, we will not be consumed. We will not suffer the second death. We will not be cast away from the presence of God. Why? 
Because God doesn't change. His love is everlasting. And everyone that God loved from before the foundation of the world, He will love them in eternity at the end of the world when He burns it up at His second coming. Okay? God does not change. And then, because God does not change, His opinion on the things of this world doesn't change, then we need to have confidence and security that the divinely inspired and preserved Word of God does not change. Okay? Psalm chapter 12. This is so important. I don't have time to give you all the logistics for it, but listen. The King James Version of the Bible is the best representation of the original autographs in the English language that is available. Right. Okay? And many people would say, well, you know, it doesn't really matter if this says this and this says this. Well, it does when they say opposite things. Right. You know, it doesn't really matter. Well, this is how God views not just the, the idea of the totality of God's word, but this is how God views the individual words of his scripture. Psalm chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. The words, the individual words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. They've been tested. They've been tested and they've been purified. Thou shalt keep them. Keep what? The words of God. The individual words now. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, and thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Now, I understand many things we read in the Old Testament. There were some things that were under the law. Jesus fulfilled the law, and now we're under grace. And that doesn't mean that they were wrong in the setting and in the time period that they were applicable. I mean, it was wrong for a Jew to... Go eat pork. I mean, it was wrong at that time period. So many people look at the Old Testament and say, well, God changed his opinion, right? Because we go to the Old Testament and see some of the, the moral uh, commandments of sodomy and other things and say, well, it says this in the Old Testament. Well, you deny that we still, uh, we, we don't uh, observe clean and unclean animals, Right? We, we don't worship on the Sabbath day. We don't worship on the Seventh day. We worship on the first day of the week in commemoration of Jesus' resurrection. We, we see references uh, in, Jesus, in, in David's day, rather, who was a musician, and God gave him a, a degree of liberty, at least in my opinion. He gave uh, David a degree of liberty because he was a man after God's own heart to use instruments in worship of God that he never really gave anyone else that ability to do. Okay? So we, we see some references to instruments, right? But we don't use instruments in the Primitive Baptist Church today. Why? Because the New Testament pattern is that we sing. But, but many of those instances, you could look at that and a scoffer would say, well, look, God said this in the Old Testament, but you don't do it. Okay, well, that's a little bit different discussion. Why? Because God fulfilled the law, and we're not bound by those things. But in regards to God's, not, not the ceremonial law, not the civil law, not those things that were specific to Israel, but the moral law. 
God's opinion on murder has not changed, right. right? God's opinion on theft and covetousness and honoring your father and mother. And certainly the, the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. To love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. It's the New Testament expression of that. His opinion on all those things have not changed. So some people could say, well, in the Old Testament he said this, but now you don't believe that's true. Well, no, actually, we just believe that the New Testament gave us the pattern of everything we need to know and everything, which, by the way, all of those things that he condemned in the Old Testament that we still believe in, if you study the New Testament, you will find them reiterated. That's right. Just like the Sabbath day. That's right. The reason why we don't is because it's not reiterated in the New Testament. It's not. It's the only one. It's the only one of the Ten Commandments that's not reiterated. But you will find that in the New Testament, every one of God's moral laws are reiterated in the New Testament. And God's opinion, especially in the environment we're in today, all the hot topics, God's opinion on sodomy, on this transgender mess and cross-dressing, God's opinion has not changed. Because God's word does not change. And why does God's word not change? Because God's character does not change. Because God doesn't change. His opinion uh, on a certain topic does not change with the winds of public opinion or the winds of culture. Right? But it's just so sad to say that the majority of Christianity believes that God's word is fluid. God's opinion is fluid. Yes, he may have not liked that in the Old Testament. But, you know, if you are sincere and you profess that you love the Lord today, no, it's okay. It's okay for you to do that. Why? Because I'm trying to impose my opinion and my own preferences on God's word. And it doesn't work that way. Because God's opinion has not changed. God's word has not changed. Why has God's word not changed? Because God hasn't changed, right? He's just the same today. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. I want to highlight a few more verses for you in regards to uh, the word of God, and then we will close. And these, these are just a few. I'll tell you, we could give you 30 of them, if not more. Psalm 100, and in verse 5, The Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. I hope you know John chapter 17 and verse 17. Sanctify them according to thy truth. Thy word is truth. So when it says his truth is going to endure to all generations, what does that mean? That means his word is going to endure. And it also means the words, individual, are going to endure to all generations. And just in case you think God is... You know, the Supreme Court justices, uh, that they weigh opinions and they they say, well, I think this and I think this, and and they have a consensus opinion. And then they always have, they have someone that writes the consensus or the the majority opinion. Then they have someone who writes a dissent. This is why I don't agree with that. And uh, it's so sad to say uh, in regards to eternal salvation, not necessarily God's word, but eternal salvation, that it's almost like you kind of have that discontinuity and that argument in the Trinity in eternal salvation. 
<laughs> Jesus is over here saying, I loved everybody. I loved everybody. And the Spirit is saying, well, I didn't quicken everybody. <laughs> I, know, I know you loved everybody. I know you loved, but I didn't get around to boring them again. And then God's just saying, well, you know, God the Father is saying, well, which one's right? <laughs> that's just, I hate to even say that because that's almost blasphemous to, to be that irreverent talking about the Godhead. But, but you have discontinuity is what I'm saying. And the idea that God is constantly having this debate among the Trinity of, what, you know what, these guys are, are messing up again. Maybe we need to be a little bit more lenient on something we said was wrong, you know? Maybe, maybe uh, now in today's environment, you know how people are. Yeah, people are going to... You know, heap to themselves, teachers having itching ears, the church is falling away, and all this other stuff. Well, maybe in today's environment, you know, maybe we can throw them a bone. Maybe we can just, you know, be a little bit more lenient on them. Because, I mean, we were tough on the Old Testament, right? <laughs> I mean, they, they, they did not have any mercy on them Canaanites when they came in. I mean, they said, look, you purge them out. Because they were, they were in such sin. And the idea that God is in heaven saying, well, you know, maybe I can edit my word a little bit. Maybe I know that, that the consensus of Christianity in the 1600s believed the KJV, and this is what the Bible says. But now there's a new version out here that says something a little bit lighter, a little bit different. And maybe we're going to be a little bit softer on some of these things. Maybe we need to put out a new version of the Bible you think that's what the, God, the, the conversation is happening in heaven? You know, my, my word's been settled for 2,000 years. Maybe I need to use somebody to put out a new version of the Bible to maybe not offend someone that's living in sin. Maybe we need to be a little bit lighter on that. Do you think those are the kind of conversations that God's having in heaven? <clears throat> Listen. Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. He's not changing his mind. He's not changing his mind because he is immutable. He does not change. He cannot change. His character can't change, but his word can't change. And I want you to understand that, that God's opinion does not sway. That's what, that's what politicians do. They, they check the wind, and they see which way the general consensus is, is going, and, and what's my best stance to get reelected. Well, God's not a politician. Praise God, right? <laughs> He's not a politician. He does not change his opinion based on the general consensus of the culture around us. No. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. May God bless you. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.